Like instead of just leaving a bunch of cash to charity, why not set up a trust that manages multifamily so that that charity receives cash flow long after you are dead? Yeah, that would be insanely awesome. Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. On today's show, we have Ruben Greff, who has a popular podcast about raising money for multifamily syndication called The Capital Raiser Show, where he brings on and learns from uh, top-level investors, attorneys, and syndicators, and he's really trying to find the best practices for raising private money for multifamily syndication and other real estate investments. You know, he interviews these syndicators and asks them how they raise funds for their deals, what strategies they implemented, and what psychology they used. Guests include multifamily syndicators, real estate investors, and securities lawyers. He's recorded over 185 shows and released about 475 pieces of downloadable content all on capital raising. We talk a lot about um, mindset today. We talk a lot about the biggest mistakes that investors are making, what to look out for, and then we get into some prediction as well. I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Today, we have the one and only Ruben Greff. Ruben has one of the most popular podcasts on raising capital. And just let me know that he has recorded over 185 shows and released 475 pieces of downloadable content. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Ruben recently raised a million dollars through co-sponsors for multifamily projects in Arizona. Uh, originally, Ruben started by doing social media videos for a local apartment investor in Phoenix, successfully raising funds for deals during the post-crash buying frenzy. Recently, he's collaborated with our friend, Andy McMullen. I uh, want to hear that origination story as well, because we know Andy, a fund manager to invest with the best operators in the United States, some of which have been, obviously, guests on your show. Ruben holds a bachelor's degree from Arizona State in chemistry and Spanish. Since starting the show, I have watched this personally, Ruben just blowing up, gaining massive traction and really becoming a preeminent force in the capital raising space. I uh, am an avid listener of, of Ruben's show for many reasons. Ruben, thanks for joining us today on the Invest for the Win show. Yeah, FTW in the house. Super stoked to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, well, I provided a brief overview of who you are and your experience, but why don't you walk us through um, your eyes and your lens on, on getting started and how did you get to becoming one of the top thought leaders in raising private capital in the commercial real estate space? It all started when I launched a YouTube channel around raising. Actually, it wasn't even about raising capital. It was just sharing what we were doing back during the real estate crash of 2009 here in Phoenix. I started a meetup to network with real estate investors. And this dude came into town from San Diego with a bankruptcy and he was buying a fourplex every other week. So I'm like, hey, dude, I, I heard about multifamily. I want to get into it. Can I follow you around to your projects and talk to you about what you're doing, how you're finding these things, how you're raising the capital, you know, what your plan is, and maybe do a little bit of 
thought leadership in regards. I didn't use those words, but we were essentially talking about the biggest transfer of wealth that was ever going to happen in the history of our lives, most likely. And so far, it seems like it was. We were buying units at less than $20,000 for brick built fourplex units here in Phoenix. And they were cash flowing astronomically. So he and I ended up splitting up and I sold off all of my assets. It was about four properties, 22 units altogether. And then was like, I don't know how to find another partner. So I ended up back in corporate America, mm -hmm. left real estate altogether. And then eventually found out about this thing called syndication. I was going to try and buy a bunch of fourplexes again. And someone's just like, well, why don't you just buy all of them together? One, one shot. And so I started interviewing local syndicators, found a group that was looking for somebody to help with capital. And since they were bringing me on board for that specific reason, I had read Joe Fairless's apartment, best ever apartment syndication book and went right to the capital raising part. And it said, hey, start your own interview based thought leadership platform. And I'm like, OK, if I'm going to do that, then I might as well start a show on the topic that I want to learn about. Mm -hmm. And thus, hence the beginning of the capital raiser show. And from the show, I learned about different ways to raise capital. And then I met a bunch of sponsors and met a bunch of capital raisers and was trying to figure out how to put them together and facilitate that and make money doing that. And all, all the lawyers that I kept interviewing were saying the same thing. You have to, in order to do this legally and compliantly with the SEC, you have to start a fund. So eventually, the team that I was with was not really too interested in raising capital for others. So I left off and decided to start a fund when Andy McMullen reached out. Mm -hmm. I had been, we were in the, when I left, we were in the middle of a capital race. I had already brought like, I think 900,000 to it and yeah. walked away from my GP slice and all of my responsibilities and all of the money that was going to come with it so that I could go and make more money somewhere else. It was a sacrifice, but I said, hey, you know what? This is really a pivotal moment for me. I think I need some change. I want to grow. And Andy reached out. He had found out from the grapevine that I had left. And he's like, hey, you know, instead of going and launching your own fund, come with me. I know that you work with the Good Egg Investments ladies or get mentored by them. You have access to all these automations. You have national exposure. You know, marketing, you know, rebranding. Why don't you take all your skill set and bring it over to here? And then that way you don't have to start your own fund. You can just work with me, leverage my track record and my capital raising experience of over $20 million raised. And then we can unite and then go make an impact in the world and help a lot of people create generational wealth. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up for that. Yeah. So, so now I find myself working as a fund manager with Andy and we raise capital for other sponsors, and we also raise for our own deals, which are typically right now, we're really getting into the build to rent space. We have 506C that we just finished the raise on right about at the end of the raise for 98 houses that we're building, an entire subdivision. And it's the first of three projects that we're planning to start this year. And we're essentially going to build the thing out, rent it, run it like a multifamily, and then sell it off to an institution. And this is the exact same model that Dr. Horton is using about three miles away from our first project. Excellent, man. Thank you for that. I really yeah. appreciate that. And, you know, I am 
Um, I am, it's unique because I, I've been a part of that journey with you in, in kind of talking with you through, through a lot of that. So um, I appreciate you bringing that to the table here. Um, one thing I want to unpack was, you know, finding partners, right? I mean, you had a partnership before, now you have a new partner and uh, making sure that that's aligned and, and making sure that that's, uh, you know, set up, you know, strategically. And so um, why don't you speak to that just really quickly, because I know that there was some, you know, things that you wanted to do and uh, maybe, you know, you couldn't, and then you made a decision to, to make sure that could and walked away from a lot of benefit, right? So talk us through that, just that transition and, and how that came to be. So I'm thinking about multiple times that I've changed partners. Like the first time was with my fourplex partner and he wanted me to focus on marketing. So I did. And then we started ending up fighting because I was investing all this marketing dollars to fly producers in and to get a book written and to do all these things. And then he would not show up when it was time to film. So we started fighting and that was kind of an ugly breakup. I wish I could go back and have been a little bit more patient because if I could have rode that train and just kept on buying fourplexes, I'd be mega wealthy right now. Like all of that <laughs> stuff that we were buying for 20,000 is probably worth 150,000, depending on the neighborhood or more. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they don't buy enough and they sell too early. I learned that from Sam Freshman. So on the second round, the godfather, so, the yeah. godfather. <laughs> so the first guy I'm, I'm actually still friends with, consider him a mentor. He's, he's not really doing real estate anymore, but the second time around, I'm still friends with those guys too. I just don't do business with them. And what happened was, is they were doing small deals in small markets that were heavy lift and not cash flowing from day one. And when I had surveyed my investors, they kept on saying, well, we do, you know, the reason that we're not investing is because we want big deals in big markets that are cash flowing immediately. So I was like, I need access to a different source of deals. And the whole thing with Andy, the way that it, it started was we just had a conversation. I had had him on my podcast and we were cracking up about the old high school days and like how we used to you know, participate in debauchery and things like that. And it was so funny and yet so informative because we started talking about how to invest in a fund that invests in other sponsors deals. So it was a very interesting topic for a lot of people that are aspiring fund managers and also funny as, as it could be. And it's to this day, it's still the most downloaded show. So that was kind of like my sign from the universe. They're like, Hey, Hey, you know, like maybe you should pay attention to this guy. So we had numerous conversations. We came up with an agreement, how I would own part of legacy acquisitions and figured out the built to rent space. Cause I was like, all my guys know multifamily. They don't know built to rent. They, they can't wrap their mind around selling off instead of individual houses, like building a subdivision and selling it off to an institution. I don't think people can wrap their mind around it. So we've just been doing the same thing that I've learned from all the guests on my show, which is to educate and nurture an audience over a small, you know, over a long period of time consistently, while we also do what I'm good at, which is bringing capital raisers into our business. So back when I was at my old company, I brought co-GPs and right. now I essentially do the same thing, except these co-GPs 
aren't the syndicating operating co-GPs. They're co-GPs of our fund, which then strokes Mm -hmm. a check into other people's deals or, you know, in in our case, if if it's our own project, then they are co-GPs because we are the actual GPs of the of the built to rent stuff. Makes sense. All right. I'm not going to hog the mic here. Parker, Corey, have any questions about just what Ruben has talked through before we move into some of the expertise questions here? I'll just say, I mean, we, uh, we take partnerships very seriously, right. And how we evaluate partnerships yeah. and how we evaluate potential groups to partner with. And, you know, it sounds like you've gone through a couple iterations of that. The three of us have all had failed partnerships in the yeah. past as well. And so we learned a lot from that failure, what we, what we needed out of partners, what we could provide for partners, et cetera. And so I think it's just really compelling. I think people end up jumping in bed, you know, with somebody a little bit too early. Mm-hmm. And I think you've really got to spend some time vetting somebody and figuring out, you know, why you should partner with them. There are still opportunities to do that, even as fund managers, even with ourselves, our entire mm-hmm. fund and company can go get in bed with some operator that we're going to be in business with for, you know, if we continue to do this raise capital for other people model, which I think we're going to do for a little while, it can be a dangerous place. So we have to vet and make sure that we're doing business with not only people that are doing good in real estate, but actually are also making an impact in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, we have to be very, very careful. And we got a lot of people calling us, Hey, you know, we understand that you guys are capital raisers come work yeah. with us. And we have to turn that business down, you know, especially if people haven't gone full cycle, if they're newer sure. investors, or if their model is something that we're not doing, a lot of people are asking us to do build to rent even in other markets. And we're like, we don't know that market. We don't have boots on the ground. We can't participate in that. You know, so we true. like you, but you know, it's got to be the right fit and the right partnership. And a lot of other things have to, you know, it, it takes time too to vet people. And sometimes they're just like, Hey, you know, stroke a check. And we're just like, I don't even know who you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely know that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to transition us into some questions because we have a guy here that has had, I mean, the top folks in this space on a show. And so, I'm going to dive into your brain and ask you a couple of questions about what you've learned, because I know a big piece of starting the Capital Razor show was for your own, your own knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that was brilliant. So uh, let's start here. And this might be a tough one, but out of all the interviewees, who has been your favorite on the show? And, you know, you don't have to say me. It's OK. <laughs> you were fantastic. So my number one guest and you'd be surprised because a lot of my most downloaded shows are, are not my favorite shows. Right. Um, usually it's the spiritual shows that really gets me juiced up. Um, I did one with somebody that Jerome Myers introduced me to Pankaj Sharma. And he mm-hmm. talked about metaphysics and that kind of stuff really gets me going. It's so fascinating to me, the whole world of manifesting $50 million properties. Um, but my absolute number one favorite show is still the one that is the most downloaded, which is with my partner, Andy McMullen, because we were just cracking up and just having a good time and building a lot of rapport. Awesome. You know, what are some of the top takeaways in regards to what you've learned about capital raising from the show? You know, I mean, I know you have a lot of attorneys come on, you have successful yeah. syndicators come on, but, you know, let's talk about maybe some of those that stand out in your mind. 
Well, it's it's more conceptual, right? So I've learned about marketing and branding and consistency and nurturing and education. When I started the show, the only thing that I knew was raising from small joint venture capital partners that would become owners of my business. And then I found out, you know, over the first many shows, how to raise from LPs. And then I found out about these things called funds. I learned about family offices, institutions, broker dealers, and then creative financing, getting checks for financing from insurance companies. Those types of things are also considered a form of capital. You know, anytime that you're buying property with money that's not yours, that's a form of capital raising. And sometimes, you know, people can sell their finance or do creative master lease options or all these unique strategies so that you can acquire properties. But what one of the main things that I learned is that there's all these ways to raise capital. It's not just one thing. It's not just LPs, right? So a lot of people, even when they interview me, they're asking me, how do you do this about LPs? But they're also framing it in a way or how are you attracting people? And really the people and the avatar that I'm attracting now are capital raisers. So I got a show on capital raising. I have access to all these people that are listening to the show to learn about capital raising. And then if I can get in front of them, I can invite them to participate in my fund. And then now that's the the biggest thing that's that's, uh, been crazy about this is I knew that my avatar in the beginning was not the LP. So I was like, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll just learn from this, uh, you know, without any sure. intention of, of having an avatar that will end up doing business with me. And the very opposite happened where now my audience are the people that I'm doing business with. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been fun, but yeah, th- those are some of the big takeaways. The branding and the marketing has been huge. Um, what you need to do to stand out, um, you know, dialing in, at least in terms of podcasting, picking a specific niche or a style of, of talking or bringing a certain energy that other podcast hosts don't have. Yeah. All of those things have really led to the success of the show and then being your unique self, right? Mm. So about 40 episodes in, we started talking about spiritual stuff. And then sure. I realized that oh, wait, I have a platform to talk about some of the stuff that I'm interested in. And other people love this stuff and material too, because they're all into personal development and thinking yeah. grow rich and other things, meditation and morning routines and abundance mindset. And I can use this platform to talk about that and even learn some things myself. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, I, I just got off a call yesterday and the whole reason that the individual was willing to have the call with me and look at a project together was simply from a a recorded talk that I had given a while back. And he said, what you talked about resonated so deeply with me that I felt inclined to reach out to you. And I can't tell you the level of that person that reached out. So I think it's very important to be your unique self, be authentic through that and uh, let that go through. And I know that Parker Webb has no problem letting people know who he is and uh, what he thinks, which is important in this space because, you know, so many things just get regurgitated um, and used and and you hear the same thing, but you have to kind of ask people, well, why do you think about that? You know, why is it that way for you? And I think that's really important to make sure that it comes through uh, when you're communicating to people. Yep. So um, I have another question, unless Parker and Corey want to jump in here. Yeah. So I've got a great one. I think, what are some of the 
biggest mistakes that you have seen with people raising capital? We've kind of brushed on a few of the maybe the downturns of, of raising capital, but what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen? There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. So I think the most dangerous one is when people are transitioning from small multifamily into large multifamily, what they end up doing is they think that they're creating joint ventures, but they're bringing passive investors into their LLCs, people that have no ongoing duties, and that's a form of securities violation. Mm. So that one's the most dangerous. Typically, these guys on smaller deals, they're not going to get hounded or chased by the regulators, right. but they're out of habit. You know, if they're moving into syndication, they need to start talking to a lawyer and structuring it correctly. So that way, a regulator doesn't come knocking on their door and take away their entire mechanism for building business and creating wealth. Because if somebody says, hey, you're not allowed to raise capital for the next seven to 20, 20 years because you violated certain things or committed fraud in certain aspects, then what are you supposed to do? Like go back mm-hmm. to corporate America? That would suck. <laughs> right. So um, and I've met a couple of people across, you know, in my time that have been revoked of their right to raise capital because they've mismanaged the way that they've raised capital. So that's a big one. The other thing is that people don't have systems in place for the capital raising side, right? Because they may be good operators and good at finding deals and acquiring them and managing them and even have a sense of taking care of the residents and philanthropic values and charity. And, you know, they seem like they're great people. And then you get into business with them and then you realize that their communication infrastructure is just not on par with what it's supposed to be in the syndication space. And that's like one of the most important things that comes to mind when you have to raise capital is like, how strong is your communication? Because if you have poor communication and your investor experience is less than normal, you're never going to retain your investors. You Mm. may be making them money, but they're stressed out, not knowing what's going on with the deal and unable to get you on the phone on a regular basis and they don't ever want to come back, you know, even if they made money. So I think not having systems, particularly around automated communications is a big thing that people are finding out just because I've had investors in the past doesn't mean that they're going to continue to work with me if I don't do the same thing that my competitors are doing. Yeah, that is so true. Go ahead, Parker. I I think it's interesting. I mean, when you have, um, you know, this the space largely, right, going out and pulling together cash and buying a deal. It's it's historically been such a country club type of affair, right? And so they're, you know, the infrastructure that you had in place isn't the same as like your E-Trade account even or, you know, anything else that you're doing. And it wasn't, you know, it was like if you're going to get an update from somebody, it's because you're sitting there having a cocktail with them at the country club. But it's different, right? I mean, we're in a different world today and how the, the industry has evolved and how people are investing in these deals and the expectations that people have. I mean, every day it's changing. And as the technology has continued to improve around, you know, some of the various portals that we're using and things like that to provide some of those updates. The, the standard is certainly high and, and, and raising every day. Yeah, I would yeah. say it's high. I, w- I would also say that there's a great opportunity for somebody that can master that to really capture a lot of people because 
even though we say that the standard is high, there's a lot of people that aren't doing a lot of things that can be done, like sending gifts, taking care of your investors in other ways, providing white glove service. I mean, anything just like I said, sending a gift or picking up the phone or taking them to dinner or having a party for them when you close a big syndication or sell it off, like doing something to celebrate the win with mm -hmm. your investors is something mm -hmm. that's not very common. Yeah, I just showed you a picture of the thank you cards that we send out on a regular basis. We've got swag bags being delivered every single week. Um, really try to make a personalized uh, kind of experience for people. And I think that's really important. You know, I mean, um, the, the biggest thing for us in raising capital is repeat investors. Yes. You know, I mean, it is so hard to go out there and build relationships. But if you if you can build that relationship, keep it and then build it even deeper, they're just going to keep coming back um, over and over again. And they're going to tell everybody about you. And when you can get that going, holy cow, that's where the really momentum uh, starts to build um, on those things. So that's one of the hugest keys when we're vetting operators. One of the things that I'm really interested in is how has their customer retention been like, if their investor retention is 80% or reinvesting, I know that their inv investor experience is amazing. Yeah. If it's like less than 50%, it really starts to raise some flags about, you know, why, why aren't people reinvesting with you? So keep sure. that in mind too. Absolutely. All right. Here's a fun one. Hypothetically speaking, if you could allocate $100 million of equity this year, and Ruben and Andy very well uh, might be already doing this, where would you allocate $100 million of, of equity into real estate or maybe other asset classes as well? Wait, so frame this correctly. Are you talking about if I had $100 million of my own money or if I was raising $100 million to put into something? How do you guys want to frame it? Um, I, I would say your own money. Yeah. See, yeah so I, I, if, it, I, if it was I my think own money. Raise. Yeah, use your own money like you would other people's money, right? So, <laughs> well, so, but I'm not an operator in some of the things that I would invest in personally, mm. right? So I've been spending some time with Richard C. Wilson and his family office club. And yeah. those guys have like 10% real estate only. Like they're doing a lot of crazy things. Sure. I would probably put some money into an infinite banking policy. I would probably invest in, I don't know if you guys have heard of Ty Lopez. He's investing oh, yeah. a lot of money into brands like defunct brands, instead of defunct real estate, he's investing into companies that have had a market share and then have not been able to make it a digital market experience, e-commerce. And then he basically takes their brand and then relaunches them and creates, you know, from, he buys stuff at like $28 million companies and then turns them into hundred million dollar companies like in one year. So that's a pretty interesting business. I think he, I might he try and TJ Maxx, right? I mean, he bought I, TJ Maxx. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. So I would probably dabble in that. I would definitely stick around with some real estate. I'd probably do some note syndications. I might play a little bit in oil and gas, although that can be really sketchy if you don't find the right operator too. But I would probably spend a big chunk of it on, on real estate, honestly. Yeah. Or, may, or maybe some form of commercial real estate, maybe some whatever, whatever makes the, the greatest amount of money, which for me in the industry that I really know, like, and trust is, yeah. is the multifamily space, you know, probably go pretty heavy and double dip into the built to rent space or development space. 
I think that's a lot of fun because you literally have control over what you're building. All right, we're moving into the method, and then we're going to get into some predictions from Mr. Ruben Grass. So more specifically, what is your method for raising capital? You know, I have read Richard C. Wilson's book. I have uh, really followed uh, Dr. Adam Gower and his model of bringing in, you know, investment dollars into your business. But if you could dial it down, you know, what is, what is legacy acquisitions method for raising capital? What's the blueprint look like? Okay. So when I got there, they needed to be rebranded and they needed to instill greater internal communications with their own investors, right? So like when we raise for another operator, they typically have communications that we can resend to our investors. Sure. But when we're raising for our own deals, like we also have to have internal communication. So part, part of it is that, can you, can you ask the question one more time? Absolutely. Just looking for maybe your blueprint for it's, raising capital. Yep. It's making friends and networking and where do you find people and how do you get in front of them? And for me, I would love to say that I can just be here and the money comes to me and the people come to me, but I'm not quite at that level yet. So what I'm doing is I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn using a tool called Calendly. You know, I connect with people on there they typically will send me a message. I'll say, that sounds very interesting. You know, let's collaborate a little bit. Send me your calendar link. I'd love to spend some time with you, especially if you're in the build to rent space. And then by the way, if it's easier, just here's mine. And yeah. all of a sudden my calendar fills up. So it's, it's easy. It's one of the easiest ways to get on phone calls with people is, is the use of those two things is LinkedIn and then sending them a calendar link and then boom. Ruben, on that front, you know, I, I feel, and we have an investor relations guy that feels a lot of questions. A lot of people, you know, say, okay, I, I've got the meetings now, right? What happens on the calls? What are you trying to accomplish on those calls? Give me that blueprint, man. I'm going to pull it out of you. Sure. That's, that's easy, man. You're just basically asking where people are on their journey and what they want to accomplish. Okay. And then just make friends from there. Let them know what you do and see if you can provide a solution. For me, if I'm talking to a capital raiser, I break it down like, hey, if you've got a, a, a scalability and you have access to 500,000 from your network and you want to become a capital raiser, you can be a GP, which has problems. You can be a co-GP, which has problems. You can start your own fund, which has problems. Or you can join us in our fund, which is handles all of the problems, right? Because now you don't have to worry about people wondering if, you know, if they are handling the objection, how many of these syndications have you done? If the answer is zero, that's going to be a hurdle. And then on the co-GP side, there's got to be all kinds of pre-negotiation in place and vetting of sponsors and ongoing duties. And it's it, typically, they won't ask you to raise for them unless they're already in a time crunch. And then, you know, on the fun side, well, there's documents and branding and things that you have to pay for. But if you can partner up with somebody that's already got access to a bunch of the best operators across the country and then leverage all of their systems and leverage their track record, that seems like a great solution. So that's the kind of conversation. That's one of the things that I'm offering to my capital raisers that I'm on the phone with. All right, we will have to have you back on on a sub-segment just on how to vet sponsors. We just recently did a uh, presentation on this, and, um, you know, we've got our own thoughts, but 
you know, I'm really curious on that process. We won't dive into that uh, right now. Let's get into some predictions. And I'm curious, you know, we've got a lot of things going on uh, geopolitically, uh, macroeconomic environments. So I know that you guys are staying on top of all of these things. But what are your top three predictions in the capital raising space and just as commercial real estate as a whole? Well, in the capital raising space, everybody's going to become fund managers. Like That's the hottest thing people want to learn about, how to yeah. start their own fund to raise money for their own deals. And they're not educated in this space because all these lawyers are giving them varied information, right? So how yeah. do you condense all of it and understand which is the best fund? It's surprising to me how many lawyers I talk to and they've never heard of a deal-by-deal -deal cost segregated fund and how that works. So, you know, you have to find specialized information from a bunch of lawyers and mm. take tools from all of them and then tell your new lawyer, hopefully with a business fund advisor, or if you know what you're doing, tell them exactly what to put in the docs. So that's the, the big prediction in capital raising is going to be a, a lot of people moving into the funds. I also believe just in, in multifamily, I've heard this even in, from Neil Bawa that a lot of people are going to be moving away from other commercial real estate assets that have suffered during the pandemic, you know, particularly retail space where now everybody's working at home. So they're going to take their money from those commercial real estate assets classes and put it into multifamily or maybe even development. Um, so I think that that's going to be a big trend. And then the other thing is people are talking about loan rates increasing and the other, here's a prediction that's not even a prediction. It's going to happen. It's truth. Over the, since 1900 to now, there's been a real estate crash or some kind of economic crash on average every 18 years. It's been about 14 years since the last one. I don't know when the next one's coming, but there's one coming. And here's one thing that I will say is that throughout some of these crashes in history, multifamily has always stood strong and survived those crashes because people will always need a place to live. Yeah. So, so what, what's the uh, role of built rent in the multifamily space? How do you see that developing here over the next uh, five to 10 years? So once again, there's a shortage of housing and it's especially affordable housing. So a lot of people are moving into the space because it's lucrative. For me, I make a lot more money in the built to rent space than I do. And my investors do too. My LPs, they make a lot more money in this space than they do in value add, you know, Ooh, and us. Tell as, me more. Tell as, me more. And then us, okay. as, us as fundraisers, we make a lot more. If we go find a sponsor, you know, we get little slices of this or that. Yeah. But when we go and do our own building and things and have control, it's super lucrative for us, which allows us to make it super lucrative for our LPs. It's mm -hmm. not a complicated business model. There is some speculation associated with it because if you guys remember in 2008, there's buildings going up everywhere. And then all of a sudden they were just empty, unfinished projects all mm -hmm. over the country, right. or at least in my part of the country. So that is called speculative development, right? Even if it's houses or subdivisions, if all of a sudden the money that you're using to build these things goes away, that's why I think it's a little bit riskier than value add. But you know, if we can build these things fast enough before there's any kind of crazy crash, we should be in extremely good shape. You know, especially if we diversify amongst other types of real estate like multifamily value add. Or, you know, a lot of people are moving into senior living, assisted living, 
student housing and you know also putting a little bit of their money into self-storage and rv parks and mobile home parks which are all great great asset classes i love that you said that you think people are going to pull their money out of things like office and retail because that makes me want to buy office and retail even more uh, <laughs> there you go 100 percent makes me want to buy it even more I, I love the idea that people will be running scared because that's the exact time that i want to be buying Awesome. All right, cool. So we talked a little bit about method and predictions, and um, I'm going to get a little more personal here and want to ask you a couple questions on your legacy. I know the answers personally, but our listeners don't quite yet. So um, what is one thing that not many people would know about you, Ruben? Well, you mentioned it earlier. I don't know that everybody knows that I am very passionate about snowboarding. Mm -hmm. I've gotten a little bit chubby over the last couple of years. So they're like, there's no way that dude can go snowboarding. And I'm at the top of the black mountain, still crushing it as best I can. I, I just certainly don't jump as high as I used to, but I can handle it. I can handle my own on the slopes for sure. That's awesome. So I would say that um, it'd be surprising to think that some people don't know that I'm really spiritual by nature. I'm not specifically religious, although I believe anything that you do to make you a better person, I'm all for it. Yeah. But I'm definitely very spiritual. I think a lot of people, you know, especially when I'm walking around, they don't think that I'm like a disciple of Wayne Dyer and some of the other, you know, a disciple of Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Well, infinite patience produces immediate results, right? So I'll quote a little bit of Wayne Dyer for you right there. Rock so. and roll. <laughs> awesome. Ruben, what is your superpower, man? What's the one thing that you can do that uh, other than shredding the slopes like Sean White, uh, <laughs> what is your superpower when it comes to personally? Yeah. So just making friends and I think breaking through limiting beliefs. Mm. I used to think that multifamily investors or partners do not grow on trees. And I've found quite the opposite to be a reality nowadays because if you know you interview them on a regular basis you start to realize that they're in abundance they're all over the place you know, some people say syndicators and multifamily fund managers they're, they're not hanging out on every street corner i've even said that but the reality is is they are accessible if you know what to do and where to look for them they're actually very easy to find excellent uh so Parker, Corey, what, what haven't we asked that you guys wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Ruben, you can fill in here too. If there's anything that you wanted to speak about, um, what did we miss here? I think, I mean, one of the things that we talk about all the time is it's really why do we do what we do? And, you know, part of it, sure, we want to make money. It's, you know, we want to have a leave a legacy for our families, for our uh, employees, for our investors, everybody, right? And so I, I wonder what is the thing that inspires you? What, what's the why in what you do, all you do? What do you want people to remember about you and your career as, you, as you've done what you've done and continue to do what you do? I think a lot of passive and even active investors at the end of the day, they want to have some sort of passive income that they can live off and then go do other things that are in, of interest to them. And at one point in my life, I went down to go live in Mexico and just survived off a small amount of passive income, was living in paradise. <clears throat> we had white sand beaches where they filmed Corona commercials on one side. We had cenotes and underwater snorkeling and caves on the other. And then there was like all these resorts and theme parks and 
just amazing natural beauty and weather. And, but after being there for a year, I realized that like, I was not fulfilled at all because I was not contributing anything to, mm. to the world. So I came back to the United States so that I could figure it out. And I think the kind of legacy, I mean, it's really easy in multifamily because you're 10xing everything. You're 10xing your economic impact. You're impacting residents that live in your properties. If you're on the building side, you have an effect on what the communities look like and what kind of stuff and technology you're putting into your units or houses. Things like, you know, electronic things where they can open up and close their doors and change the air conditioner right from their cell phone or, you know, have video surveillance of what's going on with their dog inside the house, make sure that he's not destroying your couch and all kinds of stuff like that. So there's an economic impact that way, right? And a impact on people's family, which is fantastic. But, you know, when you talk about what do you want to create in your life, if you had all the passive income in the world, you know, you go fulfill your passion, which may be in my case, you know, I'd love to see some of the poaching stop in Africa because I've mm -hmm. seen some really graphic things where people are taking chainsaws to, to living elephants and cutting their tusks off. And that stuff just drives me insane. I hate animal abuse with a passion. I mean, even on a domestic level, like people buy puppies, you know, and then they eat their couches and they end up throwing these dogs out the window in the, in the car, in the freeway. And there's all these kind of uh, animal abuse that really just makes me sick. So if I could provide some sort of financial impact for that, that would be phenomenal. Like a portion of my entire portfolio would be, you know, here's another part is like, instead of just leaving a bunch of cash to charity, why not set up a trust that manages multifamily so that that charity receives cash flow long after you are dead? Yeah. That would be yep. insanely awesome. Yep. Yeah. We've talked a lot about that, Ruben. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yep. I'm going to do some just a real quick recap. Some of the things that I really stood out to me. Um, one was what we didn't really get to touch on was surveying investors. So there will be a repeat uh, show where we dive into some specifics like surveying your investors, vetting yeah. uh, sponsors, getting really into the details on that. Biggest mistakes, you know, not following the regulations, no systems for raising capital and communication. You know, understanding what sponsors customer retention is, you know, um, if you had $100 million to allocate infinite banking, that's something I know nothing about. You know, I followed Ty Lopez for a long time. So I'm very curious that you you mentioned, um, you know, Ty Lopez and then obviously the build for rent tre trends that you're you're working on and seeing. So I appreciate those things, man. And then obviously um, the legacy piece was was really great. Ruben, where can people find more about you and what you do? The Capital Racers show is a great place. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Also spent some time dabbling on Facebook and Instagram at Capital Razor is my handle. But just reach out to me. Like all of my calendars are on my websites. They're on my LinkedIn. And if not, then just message me and through some app, you know, a social media app. Those are all great places. You can also find my website at Legacy Acquisitions if you're interested in our opportunities or finding out about built to rent, or if you want to learn about building yeah. your own fund, I'm happy to have that conversation too. Be awesome. on the lookout guys. It looks like I'm going to be writing a book in conjunction with Richard C. Wilson. Oh, wow. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> raising capital. Uh, and I probably will start a new brand. 
I just purchased CapitalRaiser.com. So let's see what I can do with that. <laughs> oh, nice. I know that that was an urge um, or an urging from Richard C. Wilson. I know he loves to play in the, uh, the URL assets. space. Yes, absolutely. Parker dabbles a little bit in the URL assets as well. <laughs> awesome, man. Ruben, thank you so much for your time and insights, man. I know our listeners are going to find this valuable because I know we surely did. We appreciate you. It was a lot of fun, man. I'd, be lo- I'd love to come back and then yeah. Parker and Corey, man, would love to have you guys on my show too. If you guys dabble in the capital raising space, I'm sure my audience would love to find yeah. out who you guys are. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right, Ruben. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to invest for the win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.